Welcome to the VoxGig Developer Relations Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Roger. I speak to people in the software development community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. I'm the CEO of VoxGig, a software consultancy that builds DevRel tools. Because we believe in the power of community, we host a monthly virtual online meetup for everyone in developer relations. Check out devrelmeetup.com. And visit voxgig.com to view our work, use our tools, and sign up for our newsletter. Okay. Please sit back and enjoy my fireside chat with today's guest. Have you heard of API Sprawl? Did you know there are over 200 million APIs now? Today, I'm speaking to Bill Dorfeld, a tech journalist who has been bemusedly watching us devs make a bigger and bigger mess. All right, let's talk to Bill. Hey, Bill. How you doing? How is Maine? Oh, it's a little soggy over here. The snow is melting, but I'm getting through it. Thanks. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, as we were discussing, right, it's just raining, raining in Ireland. Uh, welcome to the Fireside with the Box Gig podcast. We're talking about developer relations and APIs specifically. Um, the other day I was having a panic attack over the number of APIs I have to deal with. I think the last project, 18 integrations, wow. um, right? Uh, but they were all necessary and they all felt fairly normal. Um, and then I came across your article discussing API sprawl. And I was like, I need to talk to this guy. Oh, that's relevant uh, to my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but before we get into that, um, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure thing. Uh, my name is Bill Dorfeld and I'm a tech journalist and a self-described API thought leader. Um, I run a blog called Nordic APIs, so I'm the editor for this presence, and we talk about API design, strategy, security, how do you market these sort of products, which you know plays into developer relations, what you do quite well. Um, and outside of that, I'm a freelance tech journalist. I write for a number of, of uh, tech-related publications um, like DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, um, CIO.com, and uh, a handful of other publications and some company blogs too. So yeah, I kind of have a wide view of tech in terms of APIs, developer experience, stuff that's happening with AI. And I like to, you know, ask hard to answer questions and gather opinions, you know, look at interesting studies that are being put out there and try to make sense of all this for people that are associated in tech, especially like architects, lead developers, um, CTOs that are uh, overseeing a developer. It's, yeah, it's hard to keep up. It, it really yeah, is. It, 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 somebody has to synthesize, right? Yeah. Did, did, is, I mean, did you always want to be a journalist? How did you end up in tech journalism? So I went to the University of Washington, uh, and I was mainly in the English department. So I okay. have a creative writing degree. And then midway through that, I realized that I wasn't going to have a career unless I did something about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I decided that I would write about tech um, because it seemed like there's more money there. There's more interesting things to talk about. And I also had this idea to invent some sort of app that would like automate a lot of stuff my roommates were doing. Um, and we even like put a Kickstarter together for that. And awesome. just awesome. learning though about app development in that yeah. process was super helpful. And I took some like software software entrepreneurship classes at school, and 
Um, that opened my eyes to tech, and it seemed like a natural combination of the two. So that's a yeah, basically what I've been doing since like 2013. I would say, um, primarily uh, writing about tech and um, editing articles, putting like more like thought leadership style yeah. pieces together and ebooks and such. It strikes me there's there's a sort of ironic aspect to this where you, because of the work that you do, probably know more about what's happening in oh, software man. than most software developers, right? Because we we're we're stuck at the keyboard banging out the code. Uh, I, I I looked at some statistics recently and I was like, oh man, I've been doing this longer than some like senior software developers have been coding. <laughs> but I yeah, wouldn't even yeah. like consider myself a developer. I'm more looking at like the trends of all of this but but yeah yeah you're, you're right. i don't know i think i think with chat gpt i mean it, I you have the- you have enough knowledge to be dangerous right you, you, <laughs> you can get it to write the code for you uh, i like that i have enough yeah. knowledge to be dangerous so yeah. yeah watch out i suppose um we will get back to ai because sure. uh, i gotta ask you about that one right? yeah how can uh, we avoid it this day and age yeah exactly um what I did want to ask about was this issue of API sprawl. So we'll put a link into the article, but maybe you want to do yeah. a little sort of summarize at the start, just so sure. we know what the, the, the this topic is. Yeah. So API sprawl, I think, is like unmitigated usage of APIs, whether these are internal interfaces or maybe you're integrating a lot of third-party APIs or perhaps you're even externalizing some of your APIs to public consumers as some sort of product. Regardless, uh, the number of APIs that companies and developers are integrating with is increasing pretty exponentially. Um, Just to put things in perspective, when I was first interested in the API economy, I was uh, an associate um, directory kind of person with uh, this database called Programmable Web. And we were looking at like 20,000, maybe 30,000 public APIs. Um, Recently, a 2021 F5 report estimated the total number of APIs worldwide, public and private, is approaching 200 million. So you can see there's a pretty stark difference um, between those numbers. You know, that said, we weren't tracking the number of private interfaces out there because that's kind of behind closed doors. It's hard to sure. keep in, keep tabs on. Uh, but I think it just goes to show that we've seen like an increased um, usage exponentially across the board of APIs. And the whole idea of API first is really um, intermingled with microservices architecture. So a right. lot yeah. of uh, companies have been you know, developing in microservices styles, and then it becomes, well, how do these services speak to one another? What's the networking element of this new architecture? So APIs came in to fill that glue. Well, then there's a lot of things, you know, developers didn't really have the expertise to do, such as like gathering weather data or payments or, you know, initiating complex natural language processing over large bodies of text. You know, they say like there's an API for that. And it's really true. Like there's an API for nearly anything you want to do out there. And these interfaces are kind of at the core foundationally of of what a lot of not only developers do, but what end users are doing at a daily basis. So 
at a high level, API sprawl is sort of related to the idea of just like, you know, these, the number of these tools increasing exponentially. But then on the other hand, if we don't have any sort of oversight for all of that, and there's not really like any standards or governance around these APIs, then I think you can really enter some sprawl issues. Um, Basically what I say in my article is like, if you don't know what APIs you have in your portfolio, you might have sprawl. If you don't know where they are, if you don't know how like they're doing, you know, uh, you can, don't have visibility, so you can't monitor their security or health. Um, you might have sprawl. And if you don't know like why your integrations are breaking in this sort of like spaghetti code that you have, you, you might have some sprawl issues. Um, a lot of this has to do with a lack of documentation and a lack of internal design standards um, because a lot of these interfaces just exist from... Yeah like odd like we were describing before we hopped on for the interview you know like odd ad hoc uh wrappers over some database that you know some someone made for some like internal colleague and it's not really it wasn't intended to be some sort of like big company-wide um interface but maybe it has become relied upon in that way um so a lot of this has to go has has to deal with like you know after the fact let's go back and uh, try to apply some more uh, inventory management, some more oversight, because the effects of sprawl can be sort of negative, uh, which I... Oh, yeah. If you'd like. <laughs> it reminds me of the, the classic Dungeons & Dragons opening, yeah. where the DM says, you find yourself in, a, in a, a maze of twisty little passages, all different, or all alike. Yeah, which <laughs> whichever is worse, right? Uh, I, I love you know, those text-based games. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I want to get back into that, and especially yeah. like get like a group of friends together just to like walk through one of the scenarios. Yeah, I tried to play one recently. That's that was like uh, AI generated. Oh, cool. uh, and it was a great concept, and it nearly worked, but it, you, they, they they didn't quite nail it. Kind of suspension of disbelief didn't quite work. Oh, I see. Uh, but it was close. It was close. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure we will get there. I'm sure we'll get there. From a developer relations perspective, the frustration that we have in in the DevRel community is we are totally aware of this issue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't seem to have any buy-in from leadership, organizational leadership, about the cost of API sprawl bad documentation, old documentation, just lack of any way for right. developers to orientate around those APIs or the fact that it has commercial outcomes, negative commercial outcomes. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I, I mean, I, as a developer, I have definitely said, yeah, use this other API because that's the one that's the one that's well-documented, right? right? It's got nothing to do with the commercials. Um, but there just seems to be this gulf, this huge gap of understanding. Um, I think once executive leadership understands the issue, they would be motivated to take more action. Uh, so yeah, maybe it's just an, an awareness or lack of knowledge sharing that's going on here. Um, my recommendation for those developers who understand the situation and, and want to communicate uh, would be highlight the potential of zombie APIs and the potential of like this shadow IT that's just sitting out there and rotting. I mean, yeah. These could definitely pose security threats if they're not well documented. And that's how a lot of these breaches occur, honestly. It's like 
someone didn't realize this endpoint was exposed on the public web and someone's just able to um, uh, just affect like one little variable in the URL and get and a bunch of you, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... It it is it is such a frustration, right? Because the yeah. um, the value of doing it properly um, can be enormous to the company, right? And you have the shining examples, which are Twilio and Stripe and companies like that that have literally built their businesses on APIs. Yeah, um, is that a trend? I mean, have you seen that growing? Uh, have you seen people do it well, where it's like an yeah, API first business? I think the API first model is especially interesting for cloud native companies that have more greenfield development and they understand the benefits of building for reusability from day one it's kind of that whole like amazon's bezos mandate if you're familiar oh yeah yep absolutely (laughs) so i think that resonated for a lot of people and um they've kind of taken that philosophy seriously and uh, integrated it into a lot of like new development um, also, there's a ton of new API-first products out there. Um, if any of you listeners are thinking of starting an API product, I mean, check out the companies listed in the GGV Capital API-first index uh, if you're looking for inspiration. I mean, these are, they're tracking like, how how many is it now? 60 or so companies with over 50 million in funding and they're they all brand themselves as, as like api first you know and they're spanning a bunch of different areas from fintech communications content healthcare um it's it's an interesting era to be like a b2b SaaS sort of developer um because i think there's a lot of lot more potential for these sort of organizations or companies to arise yeah yeah i mean you're seeing people like um deepgram right so that's t- uh, speech to text and it's literally just an api um right. yeah. so just for anybody who hasn't read uh, that famous article um there was a guy called steve yegi who wrote this rant isn't it, this is the this is where the bezos bezos mandate came from right he wrote this internal rant in google that that he mistakenly published Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I, I sort of described the scene of, of Bezos walking into the boardroom and saying, right, from now on, <laughs> this is yeah. 2001, right? Everything has to be an API. The critical technical point there was apparently Bezos mandated that they had to be externalizable APIs. Right. So it's not yeah. just, oh, you know, create an API for your colleagues and good luck with the documentation. Um. From day one, the APIs had to be something that would be public. And I think that's the key bit. Or externalizable. Yes. You know, the resources to become a potentially public-facing artifact eventually. If not public-facing, internal or partner-facing within the company itself. But you have to have that mindset. Yeah. Right. And knowing that development teams are so distributed these days, it sort of makes sense. Uh, I, th- I think you're right. He saw that, had the forethought there. Yeah. Uh, well, he he's, he's, <laughs> he he foresaw an, an awful lot of stuff, right? Uh, yeah. That's, that's why mean, that's why talk, he is talk. where he is. Funny uh, <laughs> guy, uh, we could go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we leave that to Kara Swisher. She does. <laughs> she does. She does the takedowns. Uh, we'll stick. We'll stick with the serious stuff. Uh, 
Yeah, I think I just I just love the fact that you have a really unique perspective on this industry, right? Because um, if you're working as a developer, mm-hmm. uh, you tend to operate within specific technical circles, right? And each of them has their own little subculture, or whatever, right? There's like right. the Ruby on Rails people and the Node people and the you know cloud native computing people and all that sort of stuff. Um, Absolutely. But at the same time, kind of in their separate groups. Exactly. And you get this kind of tunnel vision. And then you have the uh, sort of cliche of the the religious wars, right? Uh, You know, Python versus Java, whatever, right? We have Uh, that whole API community about, you know, specification formats for. Oh, yeah, right. So is it Swagger or is it, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, that's been solved, but still it lingers. I mean, and, and the problem with that is that you. You know, every time I do a new project and I look at a new API, I'm like, not another API. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm interested in you because you're 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 kind of taking the the sixty four thousand foot view of this, right? So what where when it comes to developer relations, that is that has emerged as a profession in the last ten or fifteen years, right? Um, and that's just that's just one specific trend. But the only reason I'm aware of it is because it's my lived experience. Um, but I'm interested in, and this is, <laughs> it's a difficult question and it's a super open-ended one, right? But where are we going? Right? Where, where, where is this world of software development going? Hi, everything. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, this last generative AI LLM craze. Yeah. Call it, it does have lasting ripple effects. I would say it definitely feels different than other trends like the metaverse or blockchain or whatever. Right. Other stuff yes. Yeah. Kind of keeping my eye on. Yeah. This definitely has more long lasting effects and there's more provability behind uh, the studies and the research coming out that yes, um, AI pair programmers are improving not over, not only productivity, but developer happiness. So I think naturally, yeah, we're just going to see a, more of an uptick of this and uh, AI coming to learn more of like internal style within an organization and becoming more closely knit into the fabric of that organization, as opposed to just, you know, utilizing off the shelf um, public LLMs. I think that's kind of the next heap, which we're already seeing in the market, um, is that we'll have like these more customized AIs that are more familiar with what's going on, uh, more contextually and stylistically aware. So I think that's kind of the next step um, in terms of AI right here. What I what I feel troubled about by that is I think it's only going to, well, mm-hmm. it's an opinion, right? <clears throat> it could make uh, API sprawl even worse because instead of uh, cleaning up our acts and making things yeah. more coherent and consistent, well, just chuck it into chat GPT and, and ask for a clean interface on top, right? And we're, we're just, we're just going to yeah. stack out more layers of complexity. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> real outcome of this uh, increasing technical debt across the board. And I, I've written yeah. about that recently and got some expert opinions on it that say, yes, with if it's not, if if this isn't mitigated, this will naturally happen. So a side effect of, of, of yeah, a side effect of AI is is a technical debt explosion if we're not careful. Yeah, exactly. Because code output is naturally accelerated, and I think 
if you know your developer at the end of the day it might just be easier to hit like you know tab next on that autocomplete and without like having the right oversight for all that new code yeah things could get a little messy but to your previous point um just the fact that ai is becoming integrated um into all these different development environments right now that means that apis are going to explode alongside with with that new wave so yeah naturally we're seeing uh like hundreds of new apis emerge um to extend ai into new environments and bring like unique ai based capabilities everywhere um it's getting so out mm -hmm. of hand that i even, even came across a startup recently that their whole mission is to like take a prompt and then find the correct api that will, that will be the most efficient just... for that <laughs> that prompt and like deliver the best outcomes for you know you could weight it by cost or quality or performance uh it, it's pretty cool like the whole prompt that's, engine that's thing. no uh, i mean that that is that is a use case right because is, yeah um it just goes to show that there's so much interest and so many uh, models out there that um, just finding the right one for the right job is becoming more and more difficult. Yeah, yeah. What? So the the, the question for let, let's take one of these API companies, right? The question is, do they just rely on the exposed uh, LLMs like ChatGPT or Bing's or whatever to write code for developers that are integrating with them? Or should they be building their own, or maybe not LLMs, but maybe they should be building their own uh, solutions or finding ways for the developers to come to them and say, I have this particular problem, give me the code, right? Don't give me the documentation. Documentation is old school, dude. <laughs> give me the code, show me the code, right? Yeah. Uh, is that the new sort of baseline that people need to get to? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I think... It will be whatever the future holds. It'll it'll be closer to wherever the developer is naturally, and I think we're already seeing that with like Copilot uh, being yeah. more integrated into these IDEs and more more closely aligned with whatever they're already doing. Um, if if that kind of answers, yeah, yeah, there's um, a lot there. I mean, I, I you know I've I've among my peers, right? It used to be. Very important to have uh, Google Foo, right? So I'm sure you've heard the term, right? It's knowing how to use Google really effectively. Um, and that goes all the way back to, um, I mean, the first proper search engine that could be used that way was uh, I think called hotbot.com. Mm. This is the late 90s stuff. But it, it lets you sort of program the query so you could find the exact answer to the technical issue that you have. Um, but my first my first stop these days is is ChatGPT. Right? I'm just yeah. Google Google just doesn't cut it anymore. Um, well, I found ChatGPT to be extremely helpful for certain scenarios. Um, obviously, there's a limitation for gathering news related data. Just yeah. Yeah. you know because it hasn't been updated since I forget what the date is right now, like end of 2021 or something. Um, but if I'm if I have like a common sense sort of question or i need logically like logical reasoning on a complex question it's yes far far superior and 
um, accurate than a Google search. So it's definitely um, leveling up my capabilities as a writer, journalist, or editor. Um, but I, I wouldn't use it to generate writing itself. And when I've tried, it's it's just... Oh, have you, yeah, yeah. Have you ended up with this thing where the the, the style is it, it like yeah. it's either like too too casual, or you're like, okay, now it needs to be a bit more serious, and then it gets really formal, and you just can't yeah. get the the voice right. Oh, it's so hard to get the right voice. And yeah, I honestly think in this day and age, um, the authentic voice of a real human writer just got a lot more valuable. Hundred percent, right? I don't know if this has happened to you, right? Where I'm reading something, and I'm like, this is AI. Yeah, I know. Kill, kill, and I'm saying I'm just going to stop straight away, right? Because I want to read real people. that we uh, saw visually in like the late '90s, um, in movies and CGI and stuff. I think it's the same thing is happening with the written word right now. Yeah, does it scare you? I mean, you've dedicated your life to the written word, right? Yeah, uh, oh, it's yeah. your passion. Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm keeping an, an eye on it. Yeah, but the more I find that kind of validates what I what I said a couple sentences ago, I think um, the the real authentic human voice, somehow it, it does shine through. And also a lot of what I do, at least, you know, with the technology today, uh, it's pretty hard to achieve with AI. Um, uh, I feel like a lot of the great journalism stuff right now um, is like collecting first person sources, getting people's questions on things and knowing the right questions to ask too, yeah. uh, which an AI isn't really going to know because it's just working on a historical precedent. Uh, it's not really yeah. worth thinking. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I, I did math in, in school, yeah. right? So um, ha- having, <laughs> well, I was pretty bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I ended up coding. But uh having a little bit of insight into how these things are actually implemented. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we are, uh, we're, we're, we're on this kind of growth curve of ability, mm. but there are, you get diminishing returns, right? So it's like Moore's law where, right. okay, but, you know, the chip speed is doubling every two years for a long time, but, um, eventually you run out of steam right physics physics eventually catches up to you um and the mathematical basis for this stuff right has fundamental limitations um it'll catch up i mean i don't know how far we could get right we could probably get pretty far but it it will tail off right (laughs) thought piece for an article you know what what is the what are the eventual limitations here of AI is it, are we hitting like another exponentially curving Moore's law sort of situation? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, but uh, I keep. An, I mean, that's that's one thing I'm just keeping in the back of my head a little bit, right? So where are we on the curve? Yeah. Um, now when well, when quantum computing comes in, it's all it starts all over, right? But that's a <laughs> that's a that's a whole different game. <laughs> I came across one interesting report lately that was kind of pushing back on some of the rhetoric that um, GitHub has been putting out on, you know, productivity from AI. And it was from GitClear. And they were saying after looking through 150 million lines of code over the last four years, they noticed a significant uptick in the last year and a half uh, in terms of churn code. 
and a concerning decrease in code reuse. So they're yeah. kind of, and it's it's hard to make the correlation, but they're kind of saying that um, in this new day and age of AI and co-pilot uh, AI pair programming, that um, a lot more is being developed. You know, reusability isn't as good as it was before. And the amount of changes they're seeing in these repos are continuing to increase. Um, so, you know, make whatever takeaways you want from that. But I, I thought that was an interesting. Mm. I think that circles back to our earlier discussion about technical debt, right? And it's a technical yeah. debt accelerant, which is pretty scary. Um, yeah. I think it's we just have scary. to keep our eye on it, um, be smart about how we're using it, and uh, keep reading articles from Bill Dorfel. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, let's stay hopeful, right? <laughs> and read the insights from uh, the guy who's paying attention. Uh, cool. Okay. Uh, we've 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 kind of we've we've run out of time. We are not um, going to solve. We're not going to solve AI today. <laughs> no. But we, we should reprise this. Uh, we should reprise this later, maybe next year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it heads. Um, Bill, thank you so much. Um, whole API sprawl, uh, you know, concept. And there was some stuff I wanted to say about mitigating sprawl. Um, I don't know if there's time now. Yeah. Oh, let, oh, let, yeah. Let's let. Yeah. There must be. Give us hope. Give us hope. Okay. okay yeah. It doesn't have to <laughs> be uh, like a terrible you know, boil the ocean from day one scenario. I think there are, you know, more actionable things you can do to mitigate API sprawl, such as making sure you're documenting new APIs. Um, first, just like in terms of discoverability, just create like at least a spreadsheet of the APIs that you do have. You actually have, yeah. You know, catalog them, right? Inventory. Ideally, yeah. it's a little bit, uh, you know, more interfaceable than just a spreadsheet, but that's the, you know, low hanging fruit, I'm saying. Um, other options are like creating a style guide with uh, common conventions and design standards that you can share around internally. And um, kind of these like little improvements on API governance can have a wide effect. And often there's just no one really thinking about or, or implementing this or kind of, you know, passing it up to chain the up the chain to the leaders to start thinking about this so uh yeah, yeah. I, I do cover some of those tips in that article um as well you can really tell some companies take it seriously um i spoke to somebody recently who is a chief api officer right so you can tell that's a company that that's serious right but then you have other ones that are just uh, yeah, everybody everybody does everything right um yeah. uh, okay Okay, I'm going to say goodbye. Um, you should go read yeah. Bill's article because the mitigations, <laughs> the mitigations are in there. There is hope. There is hope. Bill, thank you so much. Um, I'm not sure whether to be happy or sad. I, a little bit scared, maybe. Um, <laughs> let's keep. I'm not, yeah, I'm worried about technical debt now. Um, uh, no, the, don't be too worried. There, there are ways to to mitigate all this. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on the podcast section of our website, voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe to the VoxGig Developer Relations Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any podcasting platform. We publish each Tuesday and Thursday. You can also access the archive of our meetup talks on the VoxGig YouTube channel or the VoxGig website. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.